You know, there are times in life that it's all or nothing. Halfway's no good. Partway doesn't cut it. You're either all in or you're not in at all. I remember one such occasion when I went down to Belize. I'd already served as a student missionary. I was craving the, the clear blue waters. And I had a friend who also was a student missionary, not where I was, but in Belize. And he says, we could go down there. And he worked everything out. And so that's what we did. We spent four weeks because that's when our visa expired. And we just worked at this dive shop. And anytime we supposedly tutored their kids, which we did some, but their kids wouldn't stand for too much of it. So really, we just hung out at the dive shop. And when a boat wasn't full, we jumped on board and, and got to do free diving. Now, is that a good deal or what? Well, that's what we did. And one of the things that was the thing to do, especially on one of these outer dives on one of the outer atolls called Lighthouse Reef, there was one dive where it was kind of a sandy bottom to start out and some seagrass and some of these little worms that looked like seagrass. And they would... Anyway, I'm getting distracted. It was a beautiful dive. But one of the things that they like to do is they take all the gear, they would let all the air out of the BC, which is opposite of what you usually do. You make sure it's weighted enough, and you just pitch it over the side, and you watch it sink to the bottom, and then you grab your mask and your fins, and you dive down, and you put your stuff on at the bottom. Well, I watched them do this a time or two. We'd been there a couple weeks. I'd been able to get a little bit better at free diving, but I was no free dive expert. And uh, so on this particular day, I thought, I think I can do this. And so I remember throwing all of my gear off the side of the boat. Now, I had to make it look good. You don't want to just lower it in. You have to just, you know, with reckless abandon. And that's what I did. And it landed and it splashed. And I remember looking. And of course, it kind of goes at a slant. And I threw it as far away on this downward slant. And the tide was up. And I remember looking now with my mask and my flippers over top thinking, that is really far down there. <laughs> it was probably from the top of the ceiling to the floor, which doesn't seem deep until you're looking at it through goggles underwater. And then the thought came to my mind, I don't remember turning my air on. But a lot of times they turn everybody's air on in advance of us getting there. I wonder if it's on. And I'm breathing in my snorkel. <sighs> No, calm down. Right? Am I going to do this? Well, my stuff's down there at the bottom. What's the alternative? I guess I could buddy breathe with somebody. Nope. I'm going to do this. But I was quite certain I wouldn't have enough air to go down and to come back up. And you don't want to try pushing too hard or you use up all of your breath. So you have to try and be relaxed and just, you know, slow and easy body mechanics. I remember going down, 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 adjusting my ears, the whole thing. And I'm thinking, why did I do this again? <laughs> down, down, down. Finally, I'm running out of air. I'm starting to, to panic a little bit. And I find, you know, I already located it from the top. I find that regulator. I put it in my mouth and, <sighs> oh. It was on, thank goodness. I almost died, I don't even know what for. <laughs> but it was all or nothing. You can't go part way or most of the way or end up at the bottom and then at least for me in my lungs, I couldn't go back. And there are things like that in life. It's all or nothing. You either have to go for it full on or don't bother. 
Either run with the big dogs or get off the porch, they say here in the South. And I'm reminded of our passage that Monroe did such a great job reading for us this morning. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, there we read, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me. Now this symbolism of a cross, is that a good thing? Is that a happy thing? Is that a joyous thing? Quite the opposite. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I believe the disciples took this rather literally. Whoever loses his life for my sake, what does that mean? In A.D. 44, King Herod ordered that James be thrust through by the sword. He was the first of the apostles to be martyred. Luke was hung by the neck in an olive tree. Doubting Thomas was pierced with a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and then burned alive in India. Philip was crucified by converting the wife of Heriopolis in A.D. 54. It is said that he continued to preach while hanging on the cross. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James was thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, a hundred-foot drop. And when he survived, he was clubbed to death by an angry mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor in Syria in A.D. 74. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned and then beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down upon his own request. And John the Beloved was the only disciple to die of natural causes, and it's not because they didn't try. He survived his own execution of boiling oil. And as a result, they sent him to Patmos. God still had a work for him to do. So in light of all of that, let me ask you, how was your week? I know many here have read Fox's Book of Martyrs. And by comparison, I would submit that many of our risks seem rather tame. Our sacrifices can seem quite lame, right? If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Is that something you're willing to do? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to give up? Because I tell you, in this culture that we live, you don't, you're never called to sacrifice anything, to give up anything. It's always bigger and better. Another update, another thing to improve your life. But to sacrifice? No, 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 this is America. We don't sacrifice. And what does it say in verse 25? For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world 
and himself is destroyed or lost. What profit is it? You can gain it all, have it all, but lose your own soul. So if I read these passages correctly, I'm starting to get this idea that if I want to live life to the fullest, in the truest sense of what life is, I give up my life. I won't find myself until I lose myself for the cause of Jesus Christ. I have to go all in. It's all or nothing. Jesus is not Lord of all, or if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's really not Lord at all. It's all or nothing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. One of the shortest parables that we have, one verse long. Hopefully we can figure it out. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And there we read, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Why would you hide treasure in a field? Well, in that day, at that time, there was so the the economy and, and you had different people invading and raiding that there was really no safe place for your possessions, for your things, if you had wealth. And so you would find a place in your field and you would bury it where nobody else knew but you. Reminds me of a time I did a treasure hunt for Elizabeth while I was out of the country, in fact, and I hid it under a rock so they couldn't even see that I dug it up. And when I came back, she says, we could never find it. What? So I had to show her where it was. Same idea. Somebody has gone and hidden something in a field, but then if somebody were to pass away, nobody knows. And so here this hired hand is plowing in the field, and he stumbles upon something like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, goes and sells some of what he had. All of what he had. Not just a little bit, not just a portion. He didn't just cash in his 401k. He gave all of it in order to secure this piece of property. And I'm sure all of his friends said, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. Why are you buying this one piece of land? And he says, trust me. Why? Because there's hidden treasure that he's willing to give all for. I believe the field to be represent, represents the scriptures. The treasure is the gospel. And you might say, well, is this uh, an idea of salvation by works? Not at all. This is full surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We like the Savior part, but the Lord of my life, well, we like to mix it up a little bit, have a little bit of both. He can save me, but to be Lord of my life, that starts to get a little personal. Maybe when I'm ready. This is a willingness to sacrifice my worldly wealth and my status. A willingness to give up the things that I love that I know aren't good for me. A willingness to allow him to tear down strongholds in my life. A willingness to be transparent to him. A willingness to obey the big and seemingly little things in my life. It's just a small thing. It doesn't matter. 
Do you know it's outside of God's will? Do you know that it's not what you should be doing? Then why are you doing it? Oh, well, it's a small thing. Maybe the thing is small. But disobedience, is that ever small? There's plenty of times I spank my kids and it has nothing to do with the thing. It has to do with the disobedience. But we want it both ways. How much does he sell to obtain it? All. We must be willing to surrender all. Not part. Not some. Not just Sabbath mornings. Not just Wednesday nights. Not just our tithes and offerings. Not just what is comfortable or convenient or what I can afford. All. How much of all is all? All. But we want God on our terms, don't we? We live in a pick-and-choose society. We want to look at the menu and say, I'll have some of that and some of that, and can you hold the mushrooms off of that? It's cut and paste. And the end result, I would submit to you, is a false God that we've created in our own image to suit our own needs. You remember Exodus 32, the golden calf experience? This wasn't a brand new God. No, they were still worshiping the same God that brought us out of Egypt. We just want to worship him on our terms, our way. And this is the, the trend. This is what's trending right now in churches, to have a golden calf. This is what everybody else is doing. It makes more sense. We can see it. It's visual. It's helpful for us. God says, don't do it. It's a small thing. They weren't all in. They wanted God on their own terms. I was talking to somebody just yesterday, and they posted something on Facebook. And it was simply a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. And it had to do with lifestyle and things that we shouldn't do and that type of thing, and just simply let the prophet speak for herself. And then there was a list of all these comments. And I said, so how did they comment? And they said, well, all of my non-Aventist friends said, wow, that's really insightful. That's really good. They appreciated it. But all of his Adventist friends, they said, oh, come on. What is that? Who cares? Party pooper? And one said, where's the grace? Where's the grace? Friends, I'm afraid that phrase, where's the grace, has become the code word for, why can't I do whatever I want to do? Why can't I do whatever I want to do? As long as I'm in church, as long as I'm reading my Bible, as long as I'm praying, let me live how I want to live. Let me worship God in the way I choose to worship God. Where's the grace? My question simply is, is she a prophet from God or not? Is she authoritative or is she not? Is God's word authoritative or is it not? Because as soon as I start picking and choosing and pieces and cut and paste, I put together something that really doesn't resemble God much at all. And we have people all over the planet now that are following pastors and teachers and going to churches of, of pastors that cut and paste parts of the gospel that they feel comfortable with, that soothes them, that makes them feel good, but doesn't step on toes. Don't tell me the things I can't do. Let's talk about mission experience. Let's talk about helping the poor. Yes, let's talk about those things. But if God puts it in here, 
Any part of it I need to pay attention to. If I'm sold out, if I'm all in, if I'm surrendered, if he's the Lord of my life, if he's not, don't bother. But if he is, that will impact everything else. We have a lot of people where God is a priority, but he's not the priority. And let me tell you, there's a huge difference. There's a huge difference between giving some and giving all. And I'll tell you, that's a pretty miserable place to be. I've been there before, and it's a miserable place to be. Too Christian to enjoy sin, but too sinful to enjoy Christ. So it's a spiritual no man's land. You don't feel connected with God. You don't really feel like you're connected with the world. You're just kind of wandering out there and you're feeling guilty and terrible all the time. You're not seeing the power of God working in your life. You're not fully enjoying everything the world has to offer. You're in spiritual no man's land. Well, why don't you try God? Well, I have tried God and it's not working. No, you haven't tried God. You've tried a piece. You've taken a portion. And God wants you to give him all. So he can bless you. Now be the first to admit that that's scary to do. That's hard to do. And really, it's only by God's grace that we can do that, right? Lord, take my will. I can't give it. Make me yours. I can't do it. But if we're not careful, we can be informed but not transformed. We have a lot of people walking around that are informed but not transformed. The reality is we can't have everything God has to offer unless we're willing to give up everything else. And it is. It's counterintuitive. It's scary. It's difficult. It's hard. If you want to save your life, you lose it doesn't make any sense. But if you give your entire life to Christ, you'll save it. There's another parable here that follows in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, went and sold some of his hobby toys and went and bought it. Oh, there it is again. He sold everything. Honey, dear, what are you doing? Trust me. It's worth it. It's worth it. When he found it, he sold it all. The ironic part is we think we're giving up so much. The reality is we're gaining so much. And God doesn't want to save us in our sin. He wants to save us from our sin, doesn't he? That's what the promises are there for. I mean, to each of the churches in Revelation, you have a, a phrase that repeats over and over and over, to him that overcometh. And who helps us overcome? God does, by his grace, by his power. Revelation 3, 21, to him that overcometh, Christ declares, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even also as I overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. Amen. We've been studying Christ's object lessons uh, in prayer meeting on Wednesday nights, and we're still doing that. And this comes out of that beautiful book. 
She writes, there are some who seem to be always seeking for the heavenly pearl. Where's God? Where's God? Where can I find him? Is it here? Is it under there? Is it this book? Is it that book? Where is it? But they do not make an entire surrender of their wrong habits. Why is he going to give you more to add to your plate if you can't even do what's already there in front of you? Why am I going to put more food on my child's plate when they haven't finished what they have? They don't give an entire surrender of their wrong habits. They do not die to self that Christ may live in them. They have not overcome unholy ambition and their love for worldly attractions. And then she says this, almost Christians. Isn't that interesting, two words? Almost Christians. We got a lot of almost Christians. I myself can too often be an almost Christian yet not fully Christians. They seem near the kingdom of heaven, but they cannot enter there. Almost, but not wholly saved, means to be almost, but wholly lost. I almost gave him everything, but it's too costly. Too much. Can't help but think of Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. We really don't give up anything. We gain everything when we put all in. But that's not what our culture says. It says to indulge. You're worth it. You deserve it. You work hard enough. But the problem with indulgence is enough is never enough. The more we get, the more we want because it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't fill the void, it doesn't soothe the pain and the emptiness that I feel so I can have everything but have nothing. But inversely, I can have nothing but have everything. You go to some of these countries and you meet some of these people that literally have nothing but they live with such happiness and joy and smiles on their faces as if they have everything. And we come from North America, from the United States, with this gloomy frown on our face. How can you be happy living in such circumstances? But they are. They are. True joy, peace, fulfillment, hope, assurance, those don't come from indulgence, but in sacrificing self and giving our all to Jesus Christ. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. We have to sell all. We have to be sold out with all. That's the problem with the Laodicean church. They're not hot. They're not cold. They're just kind of in spiritual no man's land. I wish you were one of the other. They sing songs like, I surrender some. I surrender some. Not that one. Get your hands off that one. I'm going to keep that one forever, but I surrender some. What is that? Jesus is some of the world to me. What? King Jesus is part. Just a tiny part. What? That's not how the song goes. He's all. Or he's not any at all. Tis so sweet to trust in me, just to take him half at his word. 
Jesus wishes we are on fire and hot for him. You know, there's another story in Matthew. If you're there still, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Sad portion of scripture. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And there we read, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I, may, that I may have eternal life? And so he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. Testing to see, do you think I'm God? But if you want to enter the kingdom, keep the commandments. Verse 18, he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus says, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? He knew he had a void. In verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Come be my disciple. Give all. Now, he's young, he's rich, he's smart, he's intelligent. Everything is going well for him. He is running this huge company or whatever it is, and he thinks, oh, that's just too much. But when the young man, verse 22, heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for that he had great possessions. Friends, if we hold out on God, we'll miss out on everything that God wants to do in us and for us and through us. I haven't met many people that are possessed by a demon, but I've met a lot of people possessed by their possessions. Do we own things or do things own us? The rich young ruler had it all, yet in his heart he knew he was still missing something. He was following the rules, but he really wasn't following Jesus. By definition, righteousness is doing something right. But sometimes we've reduced it to not doing something wrong. Now, I like it when my kids don't do something wrong, but I like it even better when they do something right. Don't you? And this young man has so much potential, so much wealth that he could use for the cause, so much intellect, so many things that he could turn over and surrender to the Lord, but he doesn't do it. He thought he'd find greater happiness, greater fulfillment in his worldly stuff. And when it came down to his stuff or Jesus, he said, it's too much. And I don't know how he lived after that. Maybe he tried to balance out both. Maybe he continued to live in spiritual no man's land. But I promise you, till the day he died, he was miserable, thinking in his mind over and over and over, follow me, follow me, follow me. No, God, you're asking too much. I would submit to you that when we think something in God's word is wrong, when we think something in the spirit of prophecy is wrong, it's really revealing something is wrong in me. 
Friends, our greatest assets become our greatest liabilities if we don't use it for God's purposes. And so he walked away. Desire of Ages says this, he wanted the heavenly treasure, but he wanted also, he wanted the heavenly treasure, but he wanted also the temporal advantages his riches would bring him. He desired eternal life, but he was not willing to make the sacrifice. He didn't want to put all in. His claim that he had kept the law of God was a deception. He showed that riches were his idol. He loved the gifts of God more than, the, than he loved the giver. The Savior was not so much to him as his own name among men or his possessions. And then she says, thousands are passing through this ordeal, weighing Christ against the world, and many choose the world. It's just too costly. How sad is that? How sad is that? She continues, only those who will become co-workers with Christ, only those who will say, Lord, all I have and all I am is thine, will be acknowledged as sons and daughters of God. We have to put in all. The ruler said, no, I can't give you all. Do we do the same? Often we focus on what Jesus asked him to give up. But think about what he was giving him. Think about what he was giving him. Think about what he truly gave up when he walked away. Washington, D.C. is the internship capital of the world. Every summer, about this time of year, people are jockeying to find that right internship that will be the, the key to unlock that door, open this door, this pathway to success in life with the right person. Friends, who could have been offered a better internship than the rich young ruler? Follow me, Jesus says. This is an internship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. So if you're going to feel bad for rich, don't feel bad for what he was asked to give up. Feel bad for the opportunity that he passed by. And it's the same opportunity you and I pass by all too often. Money can't do anything compared to the worthless or the, the, the value and the worth of the priceless experience he could have had in following Jesus. What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? And certainly that's speaking of heaven or hell, but I think even today, in the here and the now, you can have it all, but your soul can be hurting and withered today, right now with everything, with everything. So what is keeping you from this priceless experience? You think of the disciples in a day and age where they rarely traveled outside of a 30-mile radius of where they grew up and where they worked. That was it. That was their world. Yet Jesus sends them to the ends of the earth. They could have stayed and fished in Galilee their whole life, and they could have died with some fairly good fishing stories, but instead they traveled all of the ancient world and turned it upside down for God. Did they have purpose? You better believe they had purpose. Did they have peace? Did they have assurance? Did they have all of those things that only God can give that if we could market and put in a drug, you couldn't keep it on the shelf? Yes, they died a horrible death, but God promises them eternal life when they'll be able to walk through heaven and say, I remember you. I remember talking to you. 
and they're not going to regret anything. Oh, I wish I would have worked a little harder, gutted a few more fish, and caught that bass boat I always wanted. That's not the conversation they're going to have. They were poor in material possessions, but they were rich in experiences. As they watched God's hand move, seeing God do the impossible, as they witnessed lives change, it doesn't get any better than that, friends. But we've sold out. We're just going to give apart. Because I'm afraid if I put all in, if I put everything on the table, but can't we trust God in that way more than anybody else? Stanley Tam was born in 1915. He watched his parents go through the Depression. He says, that's not going to be me. And so he was set out to make money, to not find himself in a financial problem. And so he started his own business, but it was floundering. And God continued to work on his heart and said, give me the business, give me the business. Finally, he was going door door to door. And an old farmer's wife said, okay, can I give you my pitch now? And she talked to him all about the gospel and gave him the gospel presentation. He was a Christian, but, but this really stirred him. And this and some other situations in his life, he finally said, okay, God, it's your business. I'm really giving you nothing, but it's your business. And God says, okay, and he started to grow the business. He felt convicted again. You need to turn over half the company to me. Okay, over half of all the profits go to you. Half of all the stocks will be you. And he did that until eventually he was convinced, I need to give the entire business to God, all of it, and I'm just going to become an employee of God's. And his business, as you know, continued to grow and to boom. His friends estimate that he has given away more than $120 million. Is that easy to do? To put it all in? To give it all up? To lose your life in hopes that you will save it? No, it's very counterintuitive. It feels very unnatural. But friends, when we do that, when we put it all on the line for Jesus Christ... The reward far outweighs anything we could ever possibly give up. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What are those things? What areas? Well, finances, for one. Time management, for another. Your entertainment choices versus time in his word or prayer. Time earning versus time volunteering. Time complaining versus time ministering. Your career, you're going to glorify self or glorify God. The use of the gifts and talents he's given you to glorify self or glorify God. Diet, lifestyle choices, the list goes on and on and on. Are you going to give all or are you going to give some? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. We desire to serve you. We desire to glorify you. And for many here, they are wandering around in a spiritual wasteland, no man's land. They've tried you in part, but Lord, this morning, In the quietness of our hearts, we want to say, Lord, we want to try you full. We want to give you all. 
We want to surrender, not part, not some. We want to surrender all. And we want to see the ways in which you long to use us, to work through us, to turn this world upside down. Because we recognize it's not about us, it's about you. Lord, help us to do that and to make that decision today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.